Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. We have a post-game podcast tonight after a 6-3 loss to the New York Rangers. It's going to be a bit of a mixed bag. We're going to be talking a little bit about the game and then a little bit about just general leaves, the, the recent play, um, some trade deadline questions. But, Nick, let's start positive here. I know it's going to be tough given that they, they blew a 3-1 first period lead. Anytime you lose 6-3, it's tough to find positives. But let's get let's hear your three stars. Who's your first star tonight? I'm going to go off the board today. Usually we do one star at a time. But I'm actually going to group all three of my stars at the exact same time. And I'm going to go with... The third line today, which was the Pierre Engvall, David Kampf, and Ilya Mikheyev line. I thought it was nice to see Engvall back in the lineup. And I think since Kampf came to the lineup and we've and came to the team, like I've personally been waiting to see Engvall and Mikheyev on both sides of Kampf to see how that looks. I just think it's a great combination of Kampf's defensive awareness. He's very, very sound. He's very you know, savvy around the ice. He knows where to be away from the puck. And we know with Engvall and Mikheyev from last year, like they're very effective when they play together. I love the the size that they bring. I love how, you know, it just feels like they are able to cover space really well out there because of their size and because of their speed. So I'm not surprised that they played well today. Mikheyev is turning into uh, like the, the second coming of Ovechkin. He has six goals in his last seven games. So it's nice to see him actually get rewarded for some strong play. I even thought he was good last year uh, with some really tough uh, deployment, but just the, the chances never really came for him, but his ability to create chances from nothing is just so good. So it's nice to see him get rewarded for that. So those are all three of my stars. I thought they were fantastic today. I think they were above 75% today in terms of shot attempts, yeah, just around 75. Um, and then obviously they were on for the goal and expected goals like each of them were just around 90 percent. so i think they were easily the best line today uh despite getting a ton of defensive zone starts so easily my top three stars today yeah that's that was an unprecedented move by you taking all three at once there but they're it's well deserved over 90 percent expected goals obviously they got that first goal like two minutes in and then uh they didn't give out anything up so they played their part tonight um i thought without kasha out of the lineup you worry about bottom six scoring uh, especially with David Camp, a, a player who doesn't really do much offensively. He's more known for his defensive game. Um, but whenever Mikhaev and Engvall seem to pair together, as you said, they seem to play where they got lots of speed, lots of length, very strong on the forecheck, good defensively. I wouldn't mind seeing that line out there again soon, even if Kasha returns. Um, not that, you know, obviously Kasha's been outstanding this year, but, you know, maybe if, if that line's successful, maybe Kasha can, can be successful somewhere else. We've seen him play in the top six. Uh, we've seen him play in different spots. I don't know what the recipe is. I don't know what the perfect lines are at this point, but I'm not going to knock your three stars there, Nick. So Mikhaev with a nice assist. Sorry, Mikhaev with a goal. As you said, that, that crazy goal streak, the shooting percentage seems to be uh, in his favor for once this year. Engvall with a nice setup on that goal. He also had a breakaway that he didn't convert on. Good penalty killing. They, they could go up against anyone. So uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to applaud you for those three stars. I gotta, I gotta take mine separately. I'm not gonna go a line here, but uh, I'm gonna give one to Mitch Marner. Marner's come back with 
two multi-point games since he's returned. Uh, he had a, he broke the power play goal streak, which is kind of nuts. Uh, his last power play goal, Nick, was February of 2020, so right before the pandemic. And I was looking at the lines, like I was looking at the lineup, and it was like Timoshev, Moore. So Jack Campbell hadn't even arrived yet. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it was just before the, the Trevor Moore trade, actually. I think that's the most like Kevin Papetti on-brand thing to do is to see like a piece of history and then see what the Leafs lines were that day. Well, then he didn't... That wasn't even a 5-on-4 goal. That was a 4-on-3 OT winner. So okay. then I went back and it was January 2nd of 2020. Um, so basically over over two years ago now. And it was kind of a fluky goal. He kind of took a one-timer from a Tyson Berry pass, and it went, like, off the post, off Hellebuck's back and in. So just it was an amazing assist by Nylander to, to set Marner up there. It's just so nice to see him rewarded with a power play goal. I know everyone has been talking about it for months now. Uh, to, to get that streak, to not have to hear about it again is, is worth a star. So Leafs had lots of problems tonight. He was not one of them. Um, anything you want to say on Marner quick, Nick? Yeah, I think it's nice to see him in the lineup. I do think the Leafs are a better team with Marner in the lineup rather than him not. I know that people have been kind of on him this year, and especially when the Leafs had success with him not in the lineup. I know that Bunting, Matthews, and Kasha line looked really good. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Mitch Marner, he plays on the penalty kill. He's good on the power play, and he's good at 5-on-5. So um, he is a very good part of this team so uh, it's nice to see him get rewarded I do think that there's a kind of a a higher gear in his game I I haven't been that impressed with you know his game and especially in the neutral zone and and just just seeing him turn the puck over a little bit more than usual now he missed a lot of time so I'm not too concerned about him but uh, the points have been there since he's come back so I'm, I'm happy with that and I think he's got another gear to go yeah, I feel like he got a little bit underrated when he was missing. Like, the, the team was playing okay some of those games, and, and people just don't realize the impact. Obviously, with his price tag, I can understand the criticism. That kind of comes with the money. But um, good player, and, and the Leafs are definitely a lot better with him. So I've given him one star. Uh, another player I want to give a star to is Michael Bunting. Bunting scored tonight. Uh, he also drew two penalties. Just the cap hits ridiculous. Nine fifty k for the next two years. I don't even want to know what he'd make if um, if he was an RFA and it was a one year deal. Um, like you're ta- you're talking over four million at this point. I assume um, I would think more than Andreas Janssen got. And you know the Leafs were pretty desperate for a top six winger on the left side this off season, and and they found their guy. So he's been fantastic. Um, not the best game in terms of plus minus, but anytime you score, he probably could have had another one and drew two penalties. I got to give him one. And then my last star, Nick, will be quick here is just, I got to give it to TJ Brody. I don't really have anyone else to give it to, you know, maybe Nylander for that assist, maybe Riley. Cause you know, he plays with Brody, but that was their best pairing. So I'm going to give it to Brody. Uh, it just seems like he's been pretty steady night after night. And Really, the, the Riley-Brody pairing was their best pairing by a mile, which is you know good for the Brody-Riley pairing and bad for everyone else. So um, the, that'll be my three stars. Any disagreements there? No, I don't think so. I, I do think there was a huge gap between Riley-Brody and the other two pairings, and we'll get to that soon. Um, and then your other star was Michael Bunting. So, I mean, Michael Bunting. We're, we're starting to get to the point with Bunting where... 
he's kind of, and I know people are probably tired of hearing the Zach Hyman comparison, but with Hyman, like you kind of knew what you were going to get every single night. You knew you were going to get 100% from him. You knew he was going to fight for every single puck. And I feel like that's what we're getting from Michael Bunting. Like, you know, every game, it just feels like, like, I don't know if I've seen him play a bad game with the Leafs, like definitely not in the games that I've seen. Like every night, it's pretty consistent uh, from Michael Bunting. So, uh, you know, it feels like he, he just deserves a start every night. And and uh, so I can't knock you on that pick. So now that we've gotten the positives out of the way, I think it's we got to talk about kind of the elephant in the room here, and that's the blown leads. So had a 3-1 first period lead, um, really after a 2-0 early lead. Uh, things were looking great. Everything was good in Leafs land, and they end up losing 6-3. Um, every game of this road trip, they've blown a multi-goal lead. So the Avalanche, they end up blowing, end up losing in overtime. Golden Knights game, they blew a two-goal lead, ended up winning in the shootout. Um, the the Blues game, they ended up, you know, blowing a multi-goal lead, ending up winning six-five. The only game they didn't blow a two-goal lead was the Arizona game, where they were trailing all game, and you know, it's not exactly ideal to be trailing to Arizona. So, what do you take out of this? recent stretch of play with the team you know taking these early leads end up blowing them um jack campbell you look at his goals against the last four or five games a lot of three i think it's three plus in his last like four games what do you what do you take of this team right now how concerned are you with i guess this recent stretch if i had to put it on a rate it from a one to ten 10 being I am very, very worried, 1 being I'm not really worried at all. I'd probably put it at like a 3 or 4. I'm not really that worried with this team right now. Um, I think in a nutshell, when you just look at this, you know, the the last 3 or 4 games, I I do understand why people are scared. I mean, we've watched blown leads for years with the Leafs and obviously dating back to 2013 and, and what's happened in the last couple playoff series. Like, we've seen this team blow leads a lot. Um... I do want to kind of bring up that other teams do blow leads. I don't think they're as catastrophic as the Leafs, but like you look at the teams they played over this past week, they played Colorado, they played Vegas, they played the Blues. Like these are good hockey teams. I'm not really that concerned with them. I mean, you, you look at each game in them in itself. Like tonight they have a 21-year-old in Rasmus Sandin and a 22-year-old in Timothy Lilligren in their top four. You have Biega, who I actually thought had a pretty good game tonight. He's hardly played in the NHL this year. If someone told me at the end of the game, the end of the game today, that the Leafs would, you know, be pretty 50-50 in terms of shot share with New York tonight and made a couple of mistakes and lost the game, I wouldn't be very surprised given their defense tonight. Like, they were mis- missing Muzzin and Hall. Um, but I don't know. I, I think when I, I want to kind of look at this team as a whole and, and when you look at them throughout the whole season, like... I'll ask you a bit of trivia here. If you take their whole season and, you know, rate them at five on five and when they're leading, what place do you think they are in, in terms of expected goals against per 60? So virtually how good have they been at 10th? Let's say 10th. They're seventh. So the teams that are ahead of them are Washington, Nashville, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Boston, Colorado. So they're in that top seven there in terms of defending leads this year. I'm not too concerned in terms of this past week. They obviously had a huge layoff, and and a lot of them were battling COVID uh, during the Christmas holiday. They didn't play hockey for quite a while. They've been on a road trip. 
they have different lineups virtually every single night due to COVID. So I know other teams are also battling this, but I mean, we're in the middle of January. They're, they're still coming out of most of these games with points. So against really good hockey teams. So, you know, we can't really expect them to win every single game by multi-goal leads. So I think in a nutshell, I'd say it's about a three or four out of 10. Are you kind of at the same spot or um, is this yeah. kind of a reoccurring theme that you feel like uh, it's a little bit worse than that? No, I think it's a three or four, to be honest. Um, I do have some questions about this team defensively. I think number one is the Muzzin Hall pairing. And they didn't play tonight. So uh, I look at this team. I, I like the camp checking line defensively, um, whether that's with Kasha or Engvall. I like how Matthews has played defensively. I've always liked how Marner's been defensively. And those two lines really take on the toughest competition. So I think from a forward point of view, they're better defensively than they have been in years past. I think the Riley-Brody pairing's been, been fantastic this season. Um, I'm not too concerned with the third pair, whether it's Sandine Dermott, Sandine Lilligren, um, against easier competition. The, the real question for me defensively is that Muzzin-Hall pairing, and you know that's going to impact what they do at the deadline, depending on what their evaluation is. We'll see how they play in the next month or so. Um, but at this point, I don't have major questions about them defensively, like in terms of this lineup. Um, I do have major questions if Biega is going to be in the playoff lineup, if Sandine, Lilligren are going to be up against Panarin types in the playoffs. But I, I just don't see that happening. So I'm not, I think my concern meter is a little bit lower as a result. Um, a couple of things about tonight's lead, Nick, is I guess first and foremost, I'll point out that like, Montreal Canadiens, Arizona Coyotes, they don't blow many leads. And the reason they don't blow many leads is that they don't have many leads. <laughs> so if you get a 3 1 first period lead and then you have Shesterkin saving his next 20 shots like that's the recipe for a blown lead um there was some iffy defensive play and bad luck I think it was a bit of, of a mix tonight I thought Campbell was kind of hung out to dry on a lot of the goals some for luck some for bad defense so um you know that first Reeves goal Biega probably could have stopped it um if he had a stick in the lane um Dermott didn't have the best you know, that pairing didn't look great on that goal, but, you know, goals happen. The second one, Sandine had decent coverage on Reeves. It kind of deflected, he actually deflected it the first chance that went right back to Reeves for the next one. The whole play kind of started by Keandre Miller missing the net. Um, the, the Fox goal was a problem. I think obviously Lilligren had a bad turnover and then, and then Kerfoot kind of botched his coverage completely in front of the net. Um, leaving Fox alone. And that strong goal was a complete fluke. So, you know, it was a bit of a perfect storm tonight in terms of blown lead. The Leafs did have 38 shots on goal. Um, obviously some coming late when they're trying to come back, but I, I just wasn't too concerned. Like, am I supposed to get worked up about, you know, Biega out there? I do think there were some holes in this lineup tonight. We'll get into later. But in terms of, like, the, the blown leads, like... You have an early lead against Colorado with a weak lineup. That's going to happen. Colorado's a good team, and, and tonight it just feel, it just seemed like you know the Leafs are shorthanded and just not getting the breaks. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and we have seen Campbell just stand on his head for for most of last season. Well, all of last season, really, and the majority of this season. And he's been a pretty much like a nine thirty, nine forty goaltender during that time. And in those last six games, I just pulled it up now, he's been an 8-8-2. So 
I think the Leafs have one or two regulation wins during that time. Um, they've have had an OT loss and an overtime win. So, I mean, they're getting points when Campbell's kind of taking a little bit of a dip here. I'm not too concerned with Campbell. I think he'll be fine. I do think he's proven that he is, you know, kind of in his prime right now, and he is a good goaltender. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty confident saying that, despite it really only being two or three seasons of him being pretty good um, as a starter, anyways. So, I think I'm confident that Campbell has no problems with him. Uh, but goalies do take these little dips from time to time. So, you know, I, I do think that Muzzin and Lilligren are a concern when they are in the lineup. But I also do think that this team is better when Muzzin and Lilligren, sorry, Muzzin and Hall are in the lineup. So especially Jake Muzzin, even even if he's not 100%. So I do think that te- this team really missed him today. Uh, because if you have Muzzin in the top four, it just kind of bumps everyone down. Um, you know, and maybe a guy like Biega or even Dermot's not in the lineup. So, yeah, at this point, I think it's a three or a four. I definitely understand why a lot of the fan base is freaking out right now because, you know, we talk about these last six games and against Colorado and St. Louis and the Rangers, and those are good teams that they play. And in the playoffs, you play good teams. So I definitely understand why people are, you know, a little bit concerned considering the competition that they are going to face in the Atlantic at the beginning of the playoffs and throughout the playoffs. So, but I think, I just think at this point you can kind of see where the problems are in the team, which I'm sure we're going to talk about soon. And, um, three or four, I think I'll keep it there, but let's move on here. Like, what would you say, like you look at the lineup right now, what would you say their biggest concern is in the forward group? Because I know you talked about, you know, there being holes in the forward group. Where would you say the biggest hole is? Yeah, so I think tonight specifically, I didn't think Tavares and, and Kerfoot played well. Um, Tavares had seven shots on goal, which surprises me. But that line as a whole just wasn't themselves. I thought they were a two-line team tonight. Uh, I thought, you know, the Matthews-Marner duo with Bunting... They generated some good chances. Obviously, you gave your three stars to the third line, the camp line. So that line was great. But, you know, Tavares and, and Kerfoot were both under about 30% expected goals, with Kerfoot being the lowest at, at 25. But that's more of a one-game thing. Uh, that Obviously, that line's been pretty good this year, especially the way Nylander's scoring. Um, Kerfoot was, like, on a crazy point streak at one point. So I think, I think I know you hate the fourth line. I don't like the fourth line either right now. Um, I, I actually wrote the, the game in 10 for Maple Leafs Hot Stove tonight, and I, I called the, the, the fourth line a dump and chase line with a lot of dump and little chase. And I, I just don't think they have the forechecking. I don't think they have the transition skill. Like, they're really weak in transition without Engvall. It seems whenever Engvall's moved up in the lineup, they struggle to, to get sustained offensive zone time. And, you know, Kyle Clifford, I, I, I get it, you know, good character guy, good fight. But having him on the same line with Simmons, especially when you have a, an older Jason Spezza, it's just not three guys that work well together. And I like, I think we've seen a, a few games of this now, and it hasn't worked. And, you know, I'm not going to single out Clifford because I think it's just the, the, you know, three of their skill sets combined. But um, it does feel like if they're in the situation, someone like Brett Sini might work better there. I don't think Richie's going to work better there because he's slow and, and not good in transition. Um, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if what's the answer there, but um, it does seem like they they need an answer, and, and this is not 
this is not the answer. So they looked weak, and I, I know you don't like the fourth line either. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you know, I look at this fourth line, and well, actually, you know what? Before I talk about the fourth line, let me address the uh, the Tavares line. I'm actually mm-hmm. a little bit lower on the Tavares line than you are. I, I think I do think they've been okay this year. Um, Nylander's been a big help there, and I know both you and I have talked about having two good puck carriers with Tavares. I think that's the point in the his career mm-hmm. that he's at. We need guys that can get him into the offensive zone. I think they've been okay, but you know, I, I do want I don't want that to be a line in the playoffs. Um, I do want someone for that left wing at the trade deadline and and even looking at Kerfoot, Tavares and Nylander together, they've been just around hovering around 50% in terms of shot share and just over 50% in terms of expected goals this year at five on five. They're at around 60% in offensive zone starts. Matthews usually takes the, the first lines of the other team and camp also helps out there too. So I just think that, you can get a ton more value of Tavares and Nylander. And even if you look at the Wowies or the with and withouts, Tavares and Nylander with Kerfoot, like I said, about 50% expected goals. Without Kerfoot there, they're at around 64%. So I do think there is a lot of opportunity in terms of getting the most out of Tavares and Nylander in that type of deployment. Um, I do think that, you know, goals right now with Kerfoot on that line are 12 to 7. Nylander's been really good in terms of just producing there. They've had a really good goaltending. So I, I do think that has kind of helped them be a legitimate top six line. But I just think there's so much more opportunity there with Tavares and Nylander on that same line. Um, do you want to say something about that before I get to the fourth line? Yeah, I don't, I don't know who they've even played with, like, other than Kerfoot, like it's it's been mainly Kerfoot there, like almost the whole year. So I don't know if I necessarily care that much about the Wow. They're scoring, obviously. I don't think like I guess this is more of a Kerfoot discussion. Um, and I have a few points to make, and I agree with you for the most part. I guess first and foremost, he's got twenty six points in thirty six games, so it's a little bit weird criticizing him right now. I know his on ice shooting percentage is through the roof, um, and that probably won't sustain, but. You know, if you're thinking of trading him in the future, for example, it's probably a good thing that he's, that the points per game are so high. Um, I do think that, you know, there's a few things, I guess, to caution with him. One is, obviously, on a shooting percentage. Um, two is, we saw how Alex Galchenyuk played there last year. I thought he played quite well, other than a few playoff giveaways. Uh, but I, I do think that it's a, a good opportunity for a player with some skill to rack up points. So... Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's Kerfoot, whether it's Galchenyuk, whether that's a Nick Robertson in the future, um, that's a good spot to be in, whether it's the deployment or just the fact that you're playing with Nylander Tavares. Um, I do think he's in a good spot with you know two guys that can really shoot the puck to rack up assists. But I, I like his game. Like he's, he's a good transition player. He's fine defensively other than tonight. Um, he's kind of what they need, having two transition players with Tavares, as you said. So... I'm okay with that there. I'm definitely open to um, to other players there, whether it's internal. Like, Nick Robertson's going to be back eventually. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he you know, dominates with the Marlies and you want to give him a, a look. Um, or externally, whether it's, you know, a, a top six winger at the deadline you can find. Um, 
you know, the, the nice part about Kerfoot is the versatility. He's someone who could play next to Kampf on a checking line. He's someone who, if Kampf were to get injured, could shift to a, a third-line center role. He could also help that fourth line in transition. Um, so I think there's lots of different avenues for Kerfoot, but right now I do think he's the best person for the job. If you wanted to give Kasha there a chance there for a few games, I'd be okay with it, but... I generally prefer Nylander on the right side, and I generally prefer Kasha on the right side. And, the, you know, the Kasha line's been good. Like, Kasha's been great in his role. So I don't have any strong opinions that, that Kerfoot shouldn't be there. Um, right now, I, I, I like that line. It's just I'll be open to, to ideas if you have ideas about the trade deadline. That's virtually what I'm getting at. And it's weird because I actually like all three of those players, and I think Kerfoot has been you know, legitimate top six player this year. Um, but I do think that for now, it's okay if they're together. But this is more of kind of like a trade deadline thought, um, you know, looking into the playoffs. And the nice thing about Kerfoot is that, like you said, like he can play on that camp line. He can play on that fourth line as a center next to Spezza. Like we've seen that in the past, even last year, and it worked really well. So that's the nice thing about Kerfoot is just so versatile. Um, but just something that I noticed, you know, in terms of Tavares uh, with with Kerfoot, um, but not really a knock on Kerfoot himself. I think he's been okay. It just might be the fit, um, especially away from the puck. But for now, I'm okay with it. I think that they've been producing enough, but just kind of a, a future thought in terms of the trade deadline and, um, and and definitely going into the playoffs there. But yeah, let me talk about the fourth line here. It's, um, you know, last year we talked about Spezza being at center and my big thing was you can't have Spezza on a line and him to be the best puck carrier and the best puck transporter. We saw it last year mm-hmm. with Spezza at center with Thornton and Simmons. We've seen it this year with Spezza with Richie and Simmons earlier in the season. It just doesn't work. And since they have come back from the big COVID uh, break, they've tried a bunch of different lines. Like the first night when they played Colorado... They had a bunch of players missing, um, and they had Cini, they had Cini Clifford and Simmons together. That line actually wasn't too bad, but after that game, it's been just really bad that fourth line. And I understand that they've had players missing, so I don't think they're gonna have this situation with the with a full lineup. Um, but I don't want them to refer right back to this, like having Spezza at center and then like a Clifford and Simmons on the wing if they have one injury in the playoffs. And that's something that I'm scared of right now. So just going, I'm going to go game by game here really quickly. So tonight, there were 25% expected goals for. They were they had six offensive zone starts, zero defensive zone starts. Against the Blues, they were 6% expected goals for, 6% at 5-on-5. Five five. Scoring chances were 6 nothing for the Blues. Arizona, they actually were better. I mean, Arizona's not a very good team. And that night, Joey Anderson was playing uh, with Spezza and Richie, so they had a bit more speed. It was 56%. And against Vegas, they were 15%, and they only played four minutes. So, I mean, obviously these expected goals, they're not going to be the most reliable when you're playing five or six minutes a night. But I think that in itself should show you that, like, that probably shouldn't be a line in the first place if you only trust them to play five or four or five minutes of five on five a night, and you're hardly playing them in close games in the third period in the middle of January. Like, 
I think this is probably my biggest knock on Keefe. And in general, I've been a, a pretty pretty big fan of how Keefe has run the team since he joined. But I think this is probably my biggest beef right now is is that fourth line having Spezza in the middle and just hardly trusting them in the middle of January. And I mean, to me, it's like that shouldn't even be a, a line in the first place because it, it didn't work last year with Spezza at center with Simmons and Thornton, and it really hasn't worked this year either. Yeah, so mid-January, having a, a Clifford, Spezza, Simmons line is fine. Uh, come playoff time, it's not fine. Um, so we'll see. I mean, if, if Clifford's in the playoff lineup, um, come playoff time, that'll be on both Dubas and Keefe. Um, if, if that's a line, it's not successful. Like, they'll they'll have to take the heat for it. I just... Clifford passed through waivers. Um, so, you know, 30 teams, 30 other teams had a chance to take them. Didn't. Uh, I was not expecting him to be in the NHL lineup this often. Now, he's a fine player, like, in the right role. He's fine as, as kind of your Matt Martin. But you already have Simmons there. You have Spezza. It's, it's a slow line. Um, and I, I want to be clear, it's not the main reason the Leafs lost tonight. Obviously, they had bad luck. They had some bad defensive plays. They didn't score after the first period. Um, but I think over the long term, this is going to be an issue. Um, the fact that, you know, it's, it's kind of a black hole every night. And not that you can't on your fourth line to score all that much, but it just seems like they're the Leafs are losing those minutes. And uh, I, I do think that'll continue if they keep rolling that line out. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that line, I know everyone kind of, uh, Engvall takes a lot of criticism because he's big and he's not all that physical, but he's a good transition player. He's good defensively. You look at his expected goals numbers, they're, they're quite strong. Um, he, had a, he had a good game tonight uh, and showed he could kind of help replace Andre Kasha, but um, the, the fact that this was the Leafs lineup with the injuries was not great. Um, I would have liked to see an Alex Steves or um, a Brett Sini get that chance. Um, if you're going to have you know that little transition skill on a line, I think it's going to hurt. So I think we've gone on enough about the fourth line. Um, I know we got some questions here. You, you asked you asked Twitter for some questions. So a lot of a lot of trade deadline mm-hmm. questions, Nick. Any yes. anyone you want to start? Anyone you want to start with, or should I just pick? Um, let's start with this one here. It kind of tails off of what um, you know we've kind of been talking about in terms of the lineup, and we haven't really touched on it thus far. So it's from at Phil the Thrills. Uh, great, great handle. <laughs> I know both you and I, everything Leafs, huge Phil Kessel fan, so we love that. So we're going to pick his question first. The question is, should Travis Dermott be a regular in the Leafs lineup? I'm assuming this is with a healthy lineup, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that makes the question a lot more interesting anyway. And, and this is a really good question. So I'll let you take it first, uh, as we're both big Travis Dermott fans. Yeah, so I would say, I guess define regular. If you're going to mean, are you starting game one of the playoff lineup? I don't know. I know last year he split time with Sandine. I wouldn't be surprised if he split time with Lilligren on a third-pairing role. I think he could be successful on a third-pairing role. I don't know if Biega is the right you know, partner for him, but whether it's Sandine Dermott or Sandine Lilligren, I think I think they could be successful. Um, I think he's a good player to have around in case there is an injury because we, we've had him, we've seen him be successful in that third-line role. But for me, it's like a 50-50 right now. Like I think him and Lilligren are competing for a lineup spot. Depending on what they do for, at the deadline, maybe you know 
one falls out. Um, I, I've said repeatedly on this podcast, I think Dermot, I, I think they've been fine or at least shopped him in the past. Um, you look at him not being protected in the expansion draft. Um, you look at their, just their interest in, uh, is it Hackenpah on, on Dallas? Um, you know, if they would have signed him, like, it, and they were reported to be interested, that probably left Dermot out. Um, you just look at him being a healthy scratch in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think the Leafs like their left side with Riley, Muzzin, and Sandine. So I, I think he's adjusted the right side quite well, but I still think that he he has more to prove, um, especially because there is some competition now. Uh, Lilligren has, has played fairly well uh, this season. I think J- Justin Hall is, you know, he's, he's played in a top four role. So um, I, I think, if anything, Hall will move down to the third pair rather than out of the lineup completely. So I, I think German should play in about 50% of the games and, and be in a true competition, and then we'll see what happens. We'll see how, how they play. That's that's what I would do. Uh, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I don't have any strong takes that like he's, he's not one of their top six or he's he should definitely be in the lineup. So I'm kind of on the fence. I'll say make it a competition, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think they should rotate that bottom pair as well uh, between the Lagrin Sandine and Dermot. Uh, if I had to pick game one, the game one lineup, and let's say they were playing tomorrow, I would, and let's say with a healthy lineup, I would definitely have Dermot as the healthy scratch. Um, I think on the left side, I would rather have Sandine, and if Dermot's competing with Lilligren, I, I don't mind how Dermot's played on the right side. I would just much rather have Lilligren there. Just that familiarity between Sandine and Lilligren, seeing them play with the Marlies for so long and, and be successful there. I think they've been a successful third pairing, Sandine and Lilligren, since coming to the Leafs. Um, and just in general, I think Lilligren is a bit more... I, I think he's a bit more risk-averse than Dermot, and I do like having a righty in that lineup, especially if you have, you know... With, with Dermot and Sandine as the third pairing, you virtually only have one righty, which is Justin Hall, that's in the lineup... Um, again, I don't care too much about the whole lefty-righty thing, but I, I do think the Leafs, if you have someone something that's so close between Lilligren and Dermot, I'd probably give the tie to Lilligren being a righty. Um, so to me, Dermot would be the seventh, which I think is okay. I think you we've seen in the past that injuries happen in the playoffs, and uh, hopefully they don't happen this year, but I think Dermot is a fine seventh defenseman, and... But until the playoffs, same thing. I, I do think that they should just rotate at this point. Yeah. If you asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Lilligren. I, I don't think Lilligren's been great as of late. So I think it's honestly like a, a toss-up for me. So, I, you know, maybe it's a moot point if they acquire someone. We'll see. Um, but I'm going to fly through a couple more of these. So uh, one question is, why is Mrazek not given more chances? Uh, I did write about this in, in the game in 10 that I'd like to see him start on Saturday he's only played four games I like to get him kind of comfortable with the team see what he can do um, but I think I think we could kind of answer this just being he wasn't healthy to start the year then when mm-hmm. he was healthy we had all the postponement so Campbell had a bunch of Campbell had a bunch of rest basically so they just kept going with Campbell but I would like to see Mrazek in the I, I like to see him on Saturday if not the next game Especially knowing that he virtually split games in the past. Um, you know, I, I don't care too much about the contract, but I do think he's a pretty good goalkeeper. And, you know, I, I do think that you want Campbell to be 100% come playoff time. 
and you know you just can't afford for him to get injured. So I do want Mrazek to play a lot more games, and I, I do think that they shouldn't they shouldn't really treat him like a Hutchison or you know a, a Joseph Wool or like a Sparks like in the and like they've had in the past. And that's kind of how they treated him so far. Whether that's because of the injuries, I'm not really sure. Uh, but like you look at his games, he's played Ottawa, Detroit in October. He played a game in Chicago in December, and then he played Arizona in January. So just a little difficult for him to kind of get, you know, kind of accustomed to the team, as you said. So I also would like to see him play a lot more. And if he gets that Islanders game, I think that'll be fun. Yeah, but I think in terms of why he hasn't got the chances, it's just injuries, and then the timing kind of sucks when he came back. Uh, I do think they planned on playing him more. Um, and I do expect him to get more games down the stretch, especially with all these rescheduled games in, in February. So I, I expect more of a 60-40 or 65-35 split going forward. Um, I, the next question, Nick, <laughs> we have a lot of trade deadline questions and a lot focused on right-shooting defensemen. So <laughs> someone asked a general question, who are some big right-shooting defensemen who don't play like featherweights? And then another one was, um, who are some potential defensemen the Leafs could target at the deadline? And looking at the Leafs lineup, it's if they do get someone, it's probably going to be on the right side, just because of you know the left side is Riley, Muzzin, Sandine. So anyone that pops out. Well, so I have opened Frank Saravelli's top trade top twenty trade targets mm-hmm. um, in play as the market heats up. So there's 20, 20 trade targets here, and then there's a few players off the board. There's one right-handed defenseman on this list. Can you name who that player is? For one right-handed defenseman on... The full list out of the 24 players that are here, including the -the off-the-board players. One right-handed player. Colin Miller. Uh, Nope. I think he's a lefty, isn't he? No, he's a righty. Yeah, it's not Colin Miller. It's actually Justin Hall. So (laughs) that's the only (laughs) right-handed defenseman on the list. And that's the real problem here. I mean, I, I do think that everyone wants a right-handed defenseman probably to take Justin Hall's spot. But there's just not that many on the market right now. And I, I really can't think of one that the Leafs can get that's played top four defense, defensive minutes, that is defensively sound, that's big, that's tough, kind of the, the guy that I think every Leafs fan wants. Um so that's the real problem here. It's just the, the player that everyone wants isn't really available right now. I have some options. So I think uh, the big one would be Damon Severson out of New Jersey. He's got a, a year and a half left. It's just over $4 million in cap in cap hit. Now, it's not really a perfect fit for a few yeah. reasons. One is that the Devils are under no obligation to move him. The Devils are a team that's quite young. Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer... Dawson Mercer. Uh, obviously, they went out and, and signed Dougie Hamilton to a big deal. So they're not necessarily in a, in a rebuild. Um, they're kind of kind of towards the end of the rebuild. I think they're going to want to be competitive next year. Now, you know, it could make sense for them to, to trade a year and a half of Severson if they're basically wasting this year. But I do think you need a big offer. So, you know, take the Jake Muzzin trade. You probably got to add to it, even if Severson's not quite as good as Muzzin. Um, you probably have to add a little bit. Is that the best move? And then you get into the fact that you know the Leafs have to either re-sign Campbell or find a replacement. 
You know, they gave Riley a, a, a raise, a uh, well-deserved raise, that is, and, you know, Kasha would need to get a raise, and Sandine and Lilligren would need to get a raise. So a lot of questions in terms of how it would fit, but I do think that's that's an option, probably the best guy that's even possible. Um, the other Some other names, um, if you're looking at more of a depth guy, Ilya Lubushkin is a guy I think defends well. He doesn't move the puck all that wow. well. He defends well. The problem is, though, Nick, is like, the Muzzin Hall pair has been trusted against top competition, and you're throwing someone in there, you know, it's a, it's a tough job. And, and he doesn't play those minutes in, in Arizona. And and I got to say, like, you know, you're the uh, the president of a lot of different fan clubs of different players. I am definitely the fan, the president of the Ilya Labushkin fan club. Like, I've wanted the Leafs to acquire him forever. Yeah, there's. Uh, there's but I, I don't know if this. I don't know if it'll work this year. I mean, I, he's at one point three five with Arizona. He's an unrestricted free agent. I think that's probably a good thing. And, and the fact that Arizona is not in the playoff contention, um, he's just not really played against top minutes like the Leafs would probably want him to play if he is playing against Muzzin. And like you said, he's more of a depth defenseman. So um, yeah, yeah, it's not a perfect fit. Although I want yeah, him. I think. I think Ben Chirot plays the right side, but I don't know if I want to pay the price. Colin Miller is a, a good kind of more depth defenseman, but I don't know if I trust him against top competition. Um, you could go with, you could just like I don't think Chicago wants to move Connor Murphy, but I think they just extended him, so I, that, that'll probably take a ton. Josh Manson, I don't think is going to get moved because Anaheim's doing pretty well, but you never know. Um, so yeah. Seattle has some guys. They have a lot of lefties that play the right side. Carson Soucy, Hayden Fleury. Um, you can maybe ask for like Simic out of out of San Jose, but I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think the question is, you know, do you go out and spend assets on a right chain defenseman? Is it going to be a big enough upgrade? I think Severson would be, but you know, a lot of these guys, you know, are you going to go pay for Labushkin? And then if you do, is he even going to be better than Hall? Right. So. Um, or is he even going to be better than a Lilligren or, or a Dermot? Um, so uh, I don't know if, if that's the best spot to add. I know we've talked about this on, on previous episodes. Um, I know a lot of fans want to add to, to defense. I think really you look at tonight and you say, you know, I'd like to add Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall to the lineup. Uh, that's That might be the big add on, on tonight's lineup. But I, I just don't know if there's the perfect answer there. Uh, as to, in terms of a right shooting defenseman, so, so that's my take on it. Um, there's we definitely named a handful of options there, Nick. But are you still yeah. kind of skeptical? I just don't see the fit. Like you said, it has to be someone that is worth paying a price, and that's going to be better than Holland Lilligren, like you said. Um, it's just a very small margin there, like for to to pay assets for someone. I would rather just make. A trade for someone at forward I think there's just much easier holes and, and to, to fill there and you've got seven NHL defensemen like yeah we, we've seen Muzzin and Hall be good in the past I know that Muzzin hasn't looked himself this year I think Hall was starting to actually play a little better I felt in the last couple of games and then now he's missing in the lineup so I think if you're the Leafs you, you obviously now have to watch Muzzin's injury here and his concussion and kind of monitor it there but i think their best bet is to hope that muzzin and hall kind of get back to what they were last year and the year before but um 
obviously I do think that, that that situation is worth monitoring, especially with the injuries now. Yeah, so obviously like adding one more top four defenseman is ideal. I think there's a lot of teams wanting to do that. Um, it's just we don't have the players out there. Chicken would be interesting. Like when the Leafs needed a defenseman years ago, they went out and got Muzzin, even though they kind of had Riley Gardner. I would. It'd be kind of interesting if the Leafs went out and got another lefty, but obviously that's a big price. Um, I think Muzzin getting back to himself would be the biggest add, and then um, if that happens, you're probably okay with Muzzin Hall because Muzzin Hall hasn't really been the the problem in, in the last two playoff series. No. Um, I think if they maybe didn't extend Riley, and now that extension looks definitely a little better based on his play, um, then I think Chikrin would make a lot more sense. But, I mean, Sandin's going to be on this team for quite a while. Muzzin signed for a couple of years. Brody, although he's playing on the right side, can play on the left side. And obviously you have Riley locked up. So it just doesn't really make sense. a lot of sense to pay the assets. And it's going to be a huge ask uh, for Jacob Chikrin. I'm kind of intrigued. Uh, just because it's such a good contract, like mid-force for him. Um, but if you're going to do that, I think you have to at least consider moving Muzzin after the year because um, you're going to have a lot tied up it's in your crowded. defense. Yeah. And it's crowded. And, you know, Chickren's a long-term commitment. Um, so to have Muzzin live out his whole contract for an additional two seasons and have Chickren Riley, I'd have some questions. But I don't know. I haven't seen Chickren on the right side. He, he plays the left in Arizona. Obviously, we haven't seen Muzzin on the right side. Um, it'd be a bit weird, but uh, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I wouldn't rule it out completely, is I guess what I'm saying, but I don't think it's it's likely. Uh, last question here, Nick. Um, and then I want to get into a couple trades that I, I threw out there today. Um, so someone asked us to talk about trade deadline targets, both top six winger and top four D. I think we've, we've kind of gotten the, the top four D options out of the way here. But... Um, so, so potential options for top six winger that you can think of, and then what would you rather see them add? I, I think uh, I think in an ideal world, I'd like to see them add a defenseman, but I just think because of the options, and uh, I'd like to see them add an impact player, and I think that's likely a forward, more likely. So Yes. Uh, yeah, any, so anyone comes to mind? I have two in, in particular. I do think that... There is a bit of a window here as well in terms of you want a player that is going to be an impact player. And I think last year, I mean, obviously Felino had those injuries um, that he was kind of battling. But I, I did feel like when Felino came in the lineup, he was just another guy. And I couldn't really differentiate him between like even a Mikheyev or kind of the other options that they had um, in that middle six. Like I couldn't really look at him and say, okay, he's closer to the Nylanders and the... Tavares right. and Matthews than he is to Mikheyev and Engvall and those guys. So I want someone that when they come to this team, you're going to put them in the big four and they're going to be closer to those guys. Kind of like even Andre Kasha. Like I, I think that you can, when he's playing, you can look at him and say, okay, this guy's not like the other depth players the Leafs had. This guy can make things happen. That's what I'm looking for and a player hopefully better than Kasha. But so the two main guys that I'll look at are Thomas Hurdle. I think that he's been the kind of the talk of the town right now in terms of the trade deadline. He's at 5.625. He's a UFA at the end of the year. He does have a modified no trade clause, but I do just like the fact that he's, first of all, he's been very, very good this year. Uh, he's just a very good player in general. He can play center. Um, he's on pace right now for 39 goals. So just a player that can 
actually make something happen. He's got good playmaking. He's a pretty good two-way player, and obviously he can score goals. So I could see him next to Tavares um, and Nylander. I think that'd be a great fit. And really, Hurdle just makes this team a lot better. It would be a pretty big price for him. Mm-hmm. So I think he's kind of the big fish there, and I, I know a lot of teams are going to be kind of vying for him. I could see definitely a few teams in the Atlantic. I could see the Rangers want him. So that's my first player. And then the second one is actually Riley Smith. I think he's a bit, his is a bit interesting. Like I looked at Vegas's cap friendly the other day and they, they're just such an interesting team to me. They just always seem to kind of go for the home run. and It, it tends to work out, but I'm very, very interested to see how they juggle their cap situation this year because they obviously traded for Jack Eichel. He's $10 million on the books. It does sound like they expect him to come back before the playoffs. And if he does, they're going to have to make room. Um, it looks like Riley Smith, who's an impending UFA, pending UFA, sorry, is going to be the guy that has to go. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, I would like to see him. He doesn't have any uh, no trade clauses there. I mean... This year, he already has 29 points in 40 games. He's pretty much been a just an above a 0.5 point-per-game player the past couple of years, um, and he's been pretty good in the playoffs. So just a reliable two-way guy. I do think he's probably a step down from Hurdle in terms of just star power and, and just overall play, but I would also be pretty happy to see him kind of be in that top six next to Tavares and Nylander as well. Um, so those are my two main guys. I think those two guys really move the needle. Um, do you have any others there? Or what do you think of those two? I know you like Hurdle. Yeah, I love Hurdle. He's just a fantastic player. Like, as you said, on pace for 39 goals. He's a two-way center. Um, you look at, like, expected goals uh, at 5-on-5. Five five, he's he's elite. Like, he's like Tavares caliber. Um, obviously, it's for one year. You'd be paying a lot for the rental. And they're currently in a playoff spot, I believe, the Sharks. So... I don't know if they'll end up trading him. They did get a gift from the league with, you know, Evander Kane. They, they don't have to pay any of that bad contract. Um, well, I don't know if they'll have to pay it. We'll see what happens, but there's no cap hit. So I, that, that definitely paves a way for, you know, paves some money or, or cap space for Hurdle. Um, so if Hurdle's available, that guy's an impact player. Like, he's, he's probably better than one of the top four. Um, I don't know which one, but you know he he might be one of their top four forwards. Like he's that good. So if he's Stay available tuned for next episode to, to find out which player it is, <laughs> uh, if he's available, I'd be. I think every team has to be interested. It's just a matter of price. First round pick, fine, done. What what else is the cost? Well, that would be my question. Um, I, I look at this team though, and I see when healthy twelve good forwards, and I actually think Robertson has a chance to. Um, you know, assuming like he's he's already skating, he gets healthy. You know, I, I think Robertson has a chance to to make an impact here, or at least challenge for a spot. Um, and then I look at you know some of the trade boards, whether it's Cervelli. I don't see many names out there that are clear difference makers. Riley Smith, I think, is a fine player. I think he's like a middle six forward. I used to really like him. He's a bit older now. Um, I would take him. I, I just don't know, you know, I'm not giving up a first for him, not as a rental, um, 
there's some other names. Like I think in an ideal world, you don't do a rental. Like you do the Muzzin type of deal. You do the Jack Campbell type of deal. Obviously, those are worked out a lot better for the Leafs. Um, there's a few names. So there's Brandon Hagel on Chicago. He makes like 1.5 for the next two additional seasons. He's play, he plays on their first line with Kane. He's, he's He reminds me a lot of Bunting. Um, you look at what Tampa did a couple of years ago when they went out and got you know Blake Coleman, who's on a very team-friendly contract. I would be interested in Hagel. I think I'd give up a first for him. I don't know if Chicago would do that. I know he's not a huge name, but he's a pretty good player. He reminds me a lot of Bunting. Um, I, I just think, like, who's the player knocking out of the lineup? It's probably Engvall. I think Engvall's a decent player. Um, you're also knocking out Robertson, potentially, if, if he's doing well with the Marlies. So I don't know if I... If I <laughs> there's not too many, like, great rental options this year. Um, I, I think Jared McCann, who I know you tweeted about a few days ago, obviously we're both huge McCann fans. But he's, he's their first-line center in, in Seattle. Um, I know Seattle does have uh, a few a few centers with term. Yanni Gord, they got Matty Beniers coming, they, they got Alex Wenberg. Um, so maybe they consider it if you, if you give them a first. But McCann's going to be due a big raise as an RFA, so I don't know if it's a perfect fit. Um, who else? I, I, what do you think? I'll let you comment on McCann. Well, I'm really interested in Hagel. I honestly didn't even know he was a player i'm just <laughs> as you were talking about him i looked him up i was like a, a, a six rounder from buffalo i mean it makes sense i didn't know um i mean that's going to be my homework i think for for this upcoming week to to look into him um yeah you know the thing is mccann it's it's funny because you look back at what the leaves traded for him in the summer and it was a was it, i think it was a third round pick or a second round pick um, four, sorry? Who was that? Four McCann. What was that deal? Now it's... it's it was Hollander. Was Philip it just Hollander? Or was it a pick two? It was Hollander, but, you know, the expansion draft definitely came into play there. And right, then, right. Um, also, McCann's kind of been doing pretty well with Seattle. So I don't oh, know. He's if, been fantastic, yeah. And, I think and, the price has gone up. Oh, it's definitely gone up. Um, I think the... Like, would you give up a first for McCann? Probably yeah, because yeah, I would. Too. He's not a rental, right? Like right. Yeah. I I I take him and then potentially trade him in the off season, or you know if the if you like the price, you think the price is reasonable, um, then you then you keep him and you and you figure out something else elsewhere. But I think with Hurdle and McCann, they could both play center. I know you mm-hmm. tweeted out McCann as a winger, but if you go Matthews, Tavares, McCann, and then Camp, Camp. I love that down the middle. Um, Kasha to play with McCann is, you know, or whatever you do with the lines. Like, you have three good right wing, you'd have three good center. I would love to get a center. It's just they're hard to come by. Um, the, but the thing I, I was I thinking about that. was I, I would love that too. I, I think when, um, if you have McCann, a guy that can play center, like to me, the two main issues the Leafs have right now is in terms of their forwards, is one, getting a winger for Tavares Nylander. And two, having a center for that Jason Spezza line. I think those are the two main problems right now. And getting a player that either A, can play center, or B, can play with Tavares and Nylander, it solves both issues at the same time. You kind of can push down Kerfoot to play with Spezza, and you can trust that fourth line to play a lot more than five minutes a game. And at five on five, 
and you have Spezza who has you know a pretty good passing player in Kerfoot and just a good player in general to play with him. I think that's important for the Leafs. And I mean, I'm a big yeah. I would be ecstatic if the Leafs can put you know Matthews, Tavares, and have like a McCann, Kasha, even like Spezza line, and then you have your shutdown camp line for the fourth with like Mikheyev and Engvall or or whatever like or Kerfoot. I think that'd be a great top 12. And I think that's the goal. If you're, if I'm Kyle Dubas, like that's the kind of makeup I want come playoff time is to have Spezza playing with, you know, some good players and to have a top, really good top six. Yeah. So your, your homework's Hagel. He's like bunting. He's he, like goes to the net, hard nosed. Um, I love bunting. And he's on a very team friendly contract, 1.5 for another two years after this. So that's why I think if I'm going to pay a pick, like, Getting a player at that value for a couple extra years is, you know, that frees up cap room for for other spots. Um, another guy I really like is Kelly Yarnrock. I know it's it's more of a it's more yeah. of a depth move. Yeah, you're not going to give up a first or anything. But I've been watching Seattle a lot, uh, mainly because it's ahead of the deadline. I think they're going to make be pretty active. But Yarnrock plays with Yanni Gord. They play against top competition. Um, I like Colin Blackwell as well as kind of an underrated guy. Maybe for next season, um, Yarnrock can play any any position. He, he played some center with Nashville. He's been on the left side um, with Gord for the most part. Um, he's like a, a really good forechecker. I think he's an underrated offensive player. He's got a pretty good shot. I was a little bit surprised watching him. I didn't think I liked Yarnrock, and then I, I was watching him, watching so much Seattle. I was like, this is a pretty good player um, as as your middle six type. So. I would, I would like him. He can play against top competition. He can play either wing or center. He can play on both special teams units. Um, I think he's kind of an underrated player that I think because he was in Nashville, maybe his offense isn't, you know, as, as I don't, I, I just feel like there's a little bit more there than maybe the stat line shows. Um, Dubis was actually, um, he's a fan of him. I'm pretty sure. Well, I think uh, Yarncroft was at that agency when when Dubas was an agent. Okay, okay. And then uh, I knew there was a connection. Yeah, so I could see it. Like that, I know that's not going to excite everyone. They're probably looking for like, you know, let's give up a first and get someone big. But I don't think you can really force giving up a first. Um, you look at what happened last year. I, I would do it for the right player, but if that player's not out there, I'm sorry, but it might be a, a boring deadline. Well, we'll see. I think people like need to remember, and maybe you and I as well, where like there's a lot of teams competing this year. I think if I'm Tampa, I'm swinging for the fences. If I'm Florida, I think they're definitely going to be swinging for the fences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rangers are going to be active at the deadline. Carolina looks like a very good team this year. That's also Colorado. Colorado, and that's only the East. Yeah, Colorado, mm-hmm. Vegas, um, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Like at the end of the day, I think last year. It is a bit blurry to know if the Leafs had a chance to get Hall. But, I mean, they got the second best option. I know that Colorado was very interested in Felino, Um And I think I think it was Vegas that was also very interested in Felino. And in the end, Columbus virtually told Nick Felino that you have the choice to pick wherever you want. You have all these different offers. We respect your choice. He chose Toronto because of the... The, the history and, and with his dad who used to play for the Leafs. So, I mean, 
it's going to be tough. Like we talk about hurdle, like there's going to be a huge bidding war for a very, very good player. So, um, I don't know. One can dream though. Yeah. I think it's the year to, to get someone with control and a pretty low cap hit. That's, that would be my goal just because I don't see the rentals that are, are good enough. Um, but definitely open if, if someone becomes available that we don't expect. It just seems, you know, if Pavelski's available, that would be cool. I, I'm not a big Klingberg fan. I know he's probably going to get moved. I don't know if I want to pay it. I, I think if, if, like for me, I'm, I'm not even that big of a fan of trading for Chikrin just based on that price. So as a result, mm-hmm. I mean, Klingberg also plays on the left side. He's definitely not as no, good as Klingberg's, Chikrin. Klingberg's a righty, but he's... He's it's a rental, and I don't know if I want to pay for the rental. Is he? Yeah, Chikrin's numbers aren't great either. Like, sorry, not Chikrin, Klingberg. Klingberg, in terms yeah. Of like his his even strength impact, they're not fantastic. I don't know if that's because he he doesn't play with Heiskanen usually, but he's more of an offensive defenseman. Right. And oh, I didn't know he was a righty actually. Yeah, he's kind I of. I don't know if that really changes things for me though, but. Just because I don't know, I don't really see the fit in terms of the type of player. Like maybe you put him on the third pairing type thing, but if you're gonna get a right guy, righty, you probably want him to be able to take on those tough minutes with Muzzin. Yeah, which Especially maybe he price. can. He might be able to, but like I don't know. I I'm not the biggest Klingberg fan relative yeah. to what I think he's gonna fetch. So I don't know. I I'm not in love with the the deadline options. Pavelski would be cool. I'm just a big Pavelski fan. <laughs> Obviously, he's on the older side, but he's still so good. He's such a good net front scorer, which they could use. Um, so, you know, if he's available, maybe you consider it. But at this point, I'm looking, and, and I don't necessarily see too many great options. Um, if it, if an unexpected team falls out of it, or, or some players are available that aren't really rumored to be, then maybe giving up a first for a rental makes sense. But just looking at the trade boards, I, I read the Athletics today. I saw Sarah Valley's. I don't see any like huge names that I really want to get up a first for. So a bit of a disappointing. But I have some trades I wanted to run by you that I threw out there. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so um, the first one involves Peter Mrazek. So the Edmonton Oilers are desperate for a goalie right now. Um, they can't really afford to, to miss the playoffs in a year with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Um, they're getting basically 900 goaltending from Koskinen and Smith. There's not really many goalies available. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is kind of the, the one that might come available, but he's got the no-trade clause. He can pick his spot. Um, I don't know if he if he choose Edmonton. Um, there's really not that many options for them, uh, unfortunately for them. And one guy that could make sense is Peter Mrazek. He's someone who Ken Holland knows well from, from his Detroit days. And Mrazek has a... Two more years after this at $3.8 million. So you look at the Leafs, you look at, you know, are they going to extend Jack Campbell or are they going to, if they don't extend Campbell, do they go out and get a starter? And if they do that, they probably can't afford Mrazek. This isn't a shock to them. They knew this when they signed Mrazek. Um, I think when they signed Mrazek, it was to be a 1B, right? Campbell hadn't proven that he can do the starter's workload. Um, his career high in games played was 31 um, obviously he was good in the playoffs, but he struggled with injuries last year. I think, you know, you look in hindsight, yes, they could probably could have had a, a decent backup, but, um, you know, knowing what we do in the off season, I think you wanted the one B. I don't think you go in the season with Campbell getting hurt and having a bad backup, um, which is, is the mess the Oilers are in. So would you do Mrazek 
3 times 3.8. You get out of that deal for the next two years. For Miko Koskinen, who's just one year, 4.5 million. Let's say they even out the cap hits. Is that something that would interest you, or do you want to keep Mrazek as insurance and try to get out of it later? Uh, yeah, so definitely the second one. I, I do think Toronto says no here. I just don't think that they really are kind of being pressured for moving that contract right now. Um, I, do, I don't want to put... I mean, Campbell's been fantastic, but he does have an injury history as well. If anything happens to Campbell, I would much rather have Mrazek there. And I mean, if Dubas trade makes that trade and you get Koskinen... Like, like if, if I think Edmonton has a, a much larger reason to make the deal than the Leafs do, uh, mm-hmm. obviously with their goaltending problems. Um, I would want them to add to their side if they're getting the better goalie and one with term. Um, I just well, don't, I don't know if the term is in their favor. Like it's a it's an iffy contract. I'll say I'd say it's an iffy contract, but I think he's better than the, both their goalies right now. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I, for I, sure. I would probably just keep Mrazek. Like, if I was choosing, I'd probably just keep Mrazek for the year as insurance. Um, even if, I mean, and, and then kind of deal within the offseason based on how those Campbell negotiations go. But I definitely wouldn't want it to turn sideways where you trade Mrazek, you get Koskinen, and Campbell gets hurt or, or you know, goes cold, and then you don't really have that insurance for this season, which, I mean... Obviously, it's been a bad week, but this Leafs team is pretty good. So you definitely want to give them every opportunity to win this year uh, and, to, and to do some damage. So I'll, I'll say Leafs say no on this one. Okay. I think they say no as well. I think just GMs in general are pretty risk-averse. Um, you don't want to trade Mrazek and then watch him kind of get hot for Edmonton in the playoffs and then watch Koskinen be terrible. Be Koskinen. <laughs> I think um, I mid-season too, and, and just goalies are just so unpredictable. So you might as well just have, if you have a 1A, 1B situation for the Leafs, you might as well just keep it for this year and, and deal with that, the cap in the off season. Yeah, so I do think that if the right move was there, I would make it. Um, like if they add, I think I'd make it. Like the, the Morassic deal, I was fine with at the time. I think it's higher than people expected because Seattle came in and they took the two best free agent goalies available, like <laughs> two of the best. And they, that just rose the price. Like, everyone still needed goalies. There's just less of them. So every goalie ended up getting more. You saw what Colorado paid for Kemper. I'd rather go the Mrazic route um, than the Kemper route. So the, the Avs gave up a first in Connor Timmins for, for Kemper. The Leafs didn't give up anything other than cast space. But, you know, if they do have to give up an asset to get out of that contract, I was okay with it. I think giving up a having to give up a, a second round pick or something to get out of that is better than the opposite, which is having bad goaltending. Um, I know Reimer's having a good year and, and those types, you know, make sense in hindsight, but at the time I, I was not I didn't want to go into the season with, with Campbell Reimer. So I think the the contract's fine. Obviously he's played four games. The injuries haven't helped his value. I don't know if it's necessarily like killed it either. Um, you know, he's still kind of the same guy we signed. We just haven't seen him. Um, so I think the least say no, but if, if, if Edmonton were to add something like a pick that would help the Leafs go get a, another goalie instead of Koskinen or, you know, if Koskinen doesn't work out, then I'd consider it. Like, I think you have to at least listen to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Edmonton's going to be in a situation where they're completely desperate and, they might be willing to pay a bargain price. If it's one for one, I probably don't do it. I probably wait till the off season and get out of that contract if I have to. 
Um, so I think we're on the same page there. Yeah. Um, They'd have to add for me to, to really, you know, kind of consider it. Um, I like the next one, though. I like the next one that you have. Okay. So I'll, the next I'll let one you announce was, it. The next one was between Ottawa and Toronto, which we've seen plenty of deals with before <laughs> that involved kind of cap cap space for, for real cash. We've seen FNUF get moved there. We've seen, well, who else? Zaitsev was, was a big one. Um, so this one is Nick Ritchie. Is, he's got two years left at $2.5 million for Michael Delzato, who is two years at $2 million. So they both signed two-year deals this offseason uh, for a similar amount of money, Ritchie making 500000 more. Um, neither is currently on their NHL roster. So it's pretty clear both teams want to get out of these contracts. Um, they both, both players cleared waivers, um, which is basically uh, telling the league you want to get out of the contract. Um, so I guess the reason for, for this trade is, is, is fairly simple. From Ottawa's point of view, Delzato is not in the picture. They have eight defensemen on their NHL roster right now that are not named Delzato, eight. And then they have Zaitsev on injured reserve, so is nine. And then they have Jake Sanderson, Lassie Thompson, who are probably coming in the future. So Delzato's 10th on the depth chart at best right now. He is not going to be back in the picture, I would imagine. Um, Nick Ritchie is not in the Leafs picture right now. Maybe they like him as a 13th forward. I don't know. But I guess the first benefit for Toronto is saving the half in cap space. The other benefit would be it might be easier to move Delzato rather than Richie because of the salary difference next season. So what's your thoughts on Richie Phil for Delzato? Um, it's kind of a, a minor move. You're kind of changing cap hits, but I guess what's your initial thought on who says no? So I think the Leafs take this, no doubt. They're virtually saving only 500k, but I do think that in another deal, they'd have to give up an asset to, for someone to take Richie. I think that should be pretty obvious at this point, considering he cleared waivers. Uh, like people wouldn't even take him for free. So, to me, I think the Leafs definitely say yes. For Ottawa, this is what makes it really interesting. Like, I I do think, obviously, Ottawa is a struggling team right now. Um, I could definitely see their management overvalue what Richie brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, when I personally think of Ottawa, and let's say I was the GM, I would probably say no to this deal. Because I look at their lineup, and it's like, I'm just looking at the left side right now. Uh, they do have a few injuries. And I'm not sure if Shane Pinto plays on the left side. He's injured right now. Uh, it says right More wing. More of a so, center. Yeah, it says right wing here. So, uh, okay. yeah, so let's say center and right wing. So right now they have Brady Kachuk, Alex Formention, Nick Paul, and Logan Shaw. Mm-hmm. Would you have Nick Ritchie over Logan Shaw, let's say? Probably. <laughs> it's pretty marginal. So I probably have Nick Paul in the lineup over Ritchie. Uh, so I think if I'm the GM, I probably don't take on that 500k uh, more. But uh, I think if you're the Leafs, I think you take that deal. I mean, I don't know if Del is going to crack the lineup unless there's some injuries, but um, I definitely think you can at least accrue some cap space before the trade deadline if you uh, get out of that contract, that Richie contract. Yeah, so um, here's, I guess, my my pitch for each side. Um, started an article about it. So for... Richie, like for the Leafs, why it would make sense is a they save five hundred thousand in cap space immediately, 
they can use that at the deadline and then it's it might be a little bit easier to move Del Zotto um, to a team like Arizona given that the cost would be less um, to buy out Del Zotto this offseason it would cost uh, about a million and a half um, versus Richie who makes 3.3 million um, or a 2.2 buyout so it's it's just less of a, a burden both cap wise if it's a cap team it's moving to or financially um, from Del Zotto's like from the Sens point of view um, they're basically headed towards a buyout with Del Zotto right now so they're going to pay him for the rema- his remaining salary uh, for this season and then I can almost guarantee they'll buy him out or, or move him um, I don't know in their position if they want to be trading picks for um, for bad contract like to, to get rid of bad contracts um, they're, they're more of a rebuilding team but you know, I look at Del Zotto, um, you know, one and a half million to buy him out in addition to this year's salary versus like for Richie, if you trade for him now, it's 4.15 million total, like for him to play this year and next. So, you know, for the extra, I think it's about an extra like million, 1.8 million is the number I came up with um, for this season and next. So that's about a $1.2 million player. I think Richie would probably command about that on the open market. He'd, he'd probably get a little bit more than $1.2, I'd guess. So if you're the Sens, like, they, they gave up a pick to get Austin Watson at $1.5 million. Like, they're getting Richie for nothing. Um, they don't If they don't care about the cap hit, which I don't think they do, I, I think it makes sense, um, depending on what they think of Richie. And then also with Richie, he has a little bit of chance of... of Getting, getting you some value at next year's trade deadline. I don't think Del Zotto really does because they're not going to play him. Whereas Richie, you know, if he gets back to that 20-goal, 15-goal pace, maybe he gets you a pick. Um, so I, I think Ottawa can kind of get a bargain on Richie in this case by getting out of that Del Zotto deal. Um, I guess the, the issue for the Leafs is, I guess, you know, do teams prefer Del Zotto or would they rather trade for Richie? That's the Leafs aspect. So it's kind of a small deal, like... I think if the Leafs got Delzato, they'd still try to trade him and maybe give up a third instead of a second or a fourth instead of a second. That's the kind of the goal, but I do think it's something that could maybe work out. And we've seen Dubas make these small deals in the past, like where he kind of tries to get these small wins, and especially when it comes to the cap. Like I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they got creative like that. Um, but this is the podcast for your polls, and I do want to talk about one more of your polls before we get out of here um and it is actually from and i'm trying to scroll down on your on your your hall of fame of tweets here so here here we go so it's from january 14th you said who do you consider it's a little bit off it's about the prospects we do have to keep this on brand here so we have to talk about some prospects who do you consider the to be toronto's top prospect at the moment i thought that there was some I thought this was a really good question, especially given the recency bias of, of the World Juniors and just how some of them are played. So I need a rank from you, one to four. Who do you consider to be the Toronto's top prospects uh, right now? Okay, I'll start by saying they're. I think they're all pretty close, all in the pretty same tier. Uh, I know Steve Dangle does the pyramid because it's like, they're so close, what are we debating here? Um, you know... Whether, like, Kapanen versus Lilligren for years, I was never sure about, or, you know, Lilligren versus Dermott. I think it's one of those situations. 
Um, I know you said the recency bias. I found that sometimes it's the opposite, where, like, Lilligren was over Sandine for quite a while, like, for half a season, just because, you know, people had kind of seen more of Lilligren. I'm going to... I don't know. So, I think... This was your poll. Yeah, I know. I didn't have to answer. <laughs> I think Robertson's going to score. He's got a great shot. He's, he hustles. Um, you know, if he could be someone who can play off Tavares Nylander, and, you know, if he gets set up, he's going to put the puck in the net. Um, defensively, he might have some challenges being a smaller player. You know, the, the, the motor's there, but I don't know if the play driving will be fantastic. Um, I had him one going into the year. Amirov is going to be an NHL player, I think for sure. Uh, I think he's going to be a good middle six winger. Um, he's a very good transition player. I think his defense will. Um, I think just his his speed and length will will be lead to good penalty killing, kind of like a Makaya Vangval type, um, with more offense. So I think I still think he's going to be a good NHL player. Um, not too concerned about, you know, obviously you'd like to see him play more, but he's good. And then Matthew Nyes is really good. Uh, I've been watching him play this year. He's just a force to be reckoned with. I, I think his transition skill legs behind Amirov's. He's not going to be the primary uh, puck carry on his line. Um, but he's going to be a really good net front scorer. He's got wicked hands. He's a quietly good playmaker. He's got a good shot. I almost want to say Matthew Nyes is one. Like, he is wow. up there. I don't know if I could do it just yet. I, I need a I'm, ranking I'm, by the end of this. So I'm going to put Nimala fourth. I just... He's a very good prospect. I just... Small defenseman. I kind of want to see him prove it more. I don't care about defense points that much. Especially on a team with Sandine and Riley. Um, good prospect. Um, three... I'll put... I'll put Nyes. I just want to see a little bit more, whether it's the Olympics. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if... I think he's got... He might have more scoring upside than Amirov. He's probably a better playmaker. Um, he's a better net front scorer, for sure. Got a better shot. Um, I'll put Amirov 2. I just like... I'll put Amirov 2, and I'll put Robertson 1 still. But I really have no confidence 1-3. to three. Like I think they're, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. And I could see, I could see reasons why they could all be, you know, better than expected or worse than expected. So, um, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely. So, so our rankings are going to be pretty close. I do think that this is a very big ceiling versus floor type of argument. Um, I think Nyes' floor is pretty safe. Like I, I do see, like he's so impressive, and I could see him playing multiple roles at the NHL level. Um, I am actually going to have Robertson first as well. I'll kind of switch to Robertson. Like 55 goals in, in 46 games as an OHL player. Uh, and that was two years ago. He's only 20 years old. And I, I think I always find that prospects in terms of hype within a fan base kind of waver based on what level they are at. When they're in the OHL or they're playing junior, it's very, very high because the numbers are high. And as soon as they get up into the AHL, even if it's a little higher, I mean, earlier than it should... Uh, like we saw this with Lilligren, like when he came to the AHL, everyone started to become sour on him because he wasn't as impressive, uh, like as an 18-year-old playing against men. 
And I think that has kind of happened to Robertson. Obviously, he's had a ton of injuries, but I mean, he's only a season apart from having 16 points in 21 games. He was the Marlies, pretty much their best forward for a lot of those nights. Um, and, and the fact that he's played in playoff games for the Leafs, like he scored a goal in four games. I didn't think he looked out of place in that Columbus series. Like, yeah, like he, he's still so young. Like he's a 20, 2001 born um, kid. Like to put that in perspective, Matthew Nyes, who was drafted this year, is only a year older than him. Like Robertson's a 2007. Younger. One, uh, yeah. one year younger, yes. So Robertson was born September 11th, 2001. Nyes was October 17th, 2002. So even though there's, you know, Robertson was drafted in the 2019 draft, Nyes was drafted in the 2021 draft, so two drafts later. Like, there's only a one-year difference between them. So I do think Robertson, like, that ceiling is so high for him. So for me, I think he is number one. Number two, I am also going to put Amirov. I just I just love his whole profile. I think that he's going to be a good two-way player. Um, I think the KHL and just the way that he's been used there and the injuries have kind of hurt him. Um, so I do think the recency bias has been kind of hurt him probably a little bit more than Robertson, I'd say. Um, so I do have him too, just because of I think that he just has such a great skill set, and I, I just can't see him unless real injuries get in the way. I, I can't see him not being an NHL player at this point, just to see him against men and how dominant he was at the World Juniors last year. Three, oh, this is tough. I'm going to put I'm going to put Nimala, but it's so close between Nimala and Nyes. Um, I just love Nimala's play away from the puck. I just think he's such a high IQ player. I love his skating. I think that's going to translate well when he starts to come over to North America. I'm the same way as you. I don't really care about the points. I I think his point shot, like his power play point shot and his slap shot's a bit being a bit overrated. Like I don't think he's going to be some, you know, big goal scorer at the NHL level, but. I do think he's going to be a player that at 5-on-5 five five can tilt the ice in Toronto's favor or whatever NHL team he is on. Hopefully it's Toronto, obviously. Um, I do have questions in terms of, you know, I don't think he's going to be like a, a big power play guy, especially with Sandine and Riley most likely on the team. And the penalty kill, I, I think there's going to be some growing pains there when he gets to North America. So those are questions I have. And then fourth, I'll have Matt Nyes, but... It's. I think from one to four, it's pretty close right now as well. Like, Nyes looks like a player that can jump up into the NHL quicker than potentially the other three that are in the there. Maybe not Amirov, but like I, I could definitely see Nyes because of the speed, because of the size, because of the hands, just being a force in the NHL. So, but again, it's just that sample with Nyes. Like half of the season last year, he was very good. Half of the season he wasn't very good, and and obviously this year in the NCAA he's just been ripping the league apart. So all in all, I just think you have four really good prospects that uh, you know hopefully they they pan out. But I thought it was a really good poll, especially considering the timing of it. Um, we have similar lists there, but I, I think this is one of those things that could change quite quickly, especially as we get a, a bigger sample when Robertson comes back from injury. Yeah, I could easily see Nyes being the best of the bunch, man. He's he's pretty good. Like, the uh, the hands are unreal, 
Um, the shot's very strong. His puck protection and just how he hunts pucks, he's just a four, like, he's like Hyman-like on the forecheck. Not quite the same speed, but like he uses his body extremely well, wins so many battles. A beast. He's going to score garbage goals. He's going to score one-timers. He's going to score on his wrist shot. Um, not he's he's got average speed, um, but you know the hands are, are wicked. Wouldn't be surprised if he was one. Um, Amirov might. Who would you say out of those four? Like I, I think it's I think Robertson definitely has the highest ceiling. Who would you say has the highest floor out of those four? Um, the highest floor. It might. Uh, Nice has a fairly high floor. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it might be Amira, to be honest. It's probably going to surprise people because I just think he's... Anyone who's that... Like, any 6'1 player who skates like him and carries the puck like him is, is an NHL player. Yeah. And, um, I mean, he's a top 15 pick, so it shouldn't be too, too surprising. I think I think in redrafts, they're all in the 10 to 15 range, or 10 to 20 range. All four of them. Even Matt, um, even Matt Nice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice, is, I, nice is good. I, I, um, I, I don't know the 2021 draft as well, so that's why I'm, I'm surprised. Um, yeah, nice is, nice is a good player. Like, I, I, like, I, I look at him, and I, I'm hoping for, like, maybe close to a best-case scenario, but you're hoping for, like, a JVR type. Like, he's, got, he's amazing down low. Um, just, just throws guys around. He's a freshman in college playing against older competition, just throwing guys around. I'm interested to see him at the Olympics. I think, you know, we might have a different question after this, like different opinions. Um, cause we'll see him like Agostino we've seen, we've seen guys like, like Sam Ice has been years, things like that. But, um, I'm very impressed with Nyes, um, to the point where, I don't know. I, I don't know if he'll make the team. Like I don't know if he'll be on the Leafs next year. But if not, it'll be the following year, I would think, um, because he's he's very physically mature, um, and, and he plays with this Ben Myers kid who's going to be a, a, a one of the top free agents this year. Um, Amirov is is maybe like Amirov's not that good on the power play, so I could see Robertson and Nyes racking up a ton of power play points. Um, I could see them playing on the power play over Amirov for sure. So I, you know, that's why I struggle with Amirov because you know maybe his points totals comes down, but he's a really good five on five player. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're in a good spot. Um, I think all four of those players are, are going to be quite good. All four have have star potential. Yeah. Um, like when I look at Amirov, like just I'm just imagining them on the Leafs, like best case scenario. Like I would love to see Amirov play with Tavares and Nylander. Like I think that's the perfect player to put on that line. Like another transition guy, another guy who I'd say Amirov's, you know, hopefully best case scenario is going to be a good two way player, just like he is right now. But I would just love to see Nylander and Amirov carry the puck into the offensive zone. Like I, I think I could see that happening. Um, and then like. Robertson and, and Nyes would probably be a, a good fit with with Matthews or Marner, like just that work ethic to be with those guys. Best case Math- scenario, Nyes and Robertson have thirty goal potential. Um, they also have more risk in terms of their, I guess, two way play. Both kill penalties, but both could be on a checking line. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're talking about upside, Amirov might be kind of towards the bottom. Um, right. So. It, 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 I don't put a lot of thought into this because, you know, 
there's no real reason to rank them. I, they're all on the same team. It's, there's no draft coming up. Um, but, you know, I guess they're all probably in the same tier. Um, I do think it's a big drop-off after that. Like, I don't think Hervidan's in the same tier as, as these four. Um, or, or Steve's, for example. But they're all very impressive. If, if the Leafs want to make a big splash at the deadline, they certainly have the capital. But I do think that these players are going to be, um, you know, some pretty impactful players. Yeah, so let's put it you're, that way. You're you're wrong about one thing though. There's a draft coming up. We have our prospects draft every year here at Everything Leafs. So the uh, <laughs> there's a draft coming up. Don't you worry about that. And we're gonna all be right. talking about Robertson and Amirov and all these guys. So you better be all getting right. ready for that. Well, let's call it a podcast. We're after midnight. We got a new wordle to do here. So we'll get to that. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see everyone soon.